two. Yep, we got time. So hi, everybody. As you're joining the webinar, please just tell us know where you're from. Um, and just that also helps because then yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. I'm in the Feldenkrais room. We're ready to have a scan. You know, very nice. Um, Mia would always say, good afternoon. Please lie down. <laughs> Lengthen your arms and legs. So uh, we've got 32. Um, just if you have any problems with sound, just pop that in the chat. I usually keep an eye on the chat more than the Q&A. Um, so that's just the better place to ask questions. And uh, we're up to 33. I'll let this roll a little bit because people mm -hmm. are still joining our webinar. Illinois, uh, Western Australia. Yeah, we get the morning, right? Um, that's the Very evening um, webinars always get uh, Australia and the afternoon ones get uh, Europe. So Europe. it's um, nice. always kind of um, changing up the time. You know, I studied Feldenkrais in Australia, right? So it makes oh, sense. Oh, that's to right. Talk about so Feldenkrais that makes in sense. Australia. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, oh, is um, that's yes. one of the distant yes. cousins. Yes. So it's a little bit bigger. It's a little bit bigger. Oh, here's Neville's here. Wait, wait. <laughs> There we go. See, it's quite, it's quite bigger than Ned. Oh, well, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Wrong arm. Hi. Uh, so this is Neville. Ned's retired, actually. He had a fatal amputation of the lower leg in front of children. It's a oh, little no. embarrassing. So he had to be retired. Cool. All righty. So we're going to get going. Um, hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch. I've been hosting a series of webinars during the lockdown. Um, they've actually been really, really fun. And I've just so enjoyed spending time with my friends. This is kind of the way I can do that. Um, tonight, my special guest is Catherine Wyckoff. Um, Catherine is a fellow Feldenkrais practitioner, and she was there. Her horse was the third horse to ever stand on pads. Uh, in May, we're coming up on our anniversary. Um, Goodness. In May 2012. So welcome, Catherine. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. It's always fun to be with a fellow practitioner. Um, I met Wendy in 2007, I think. That's when we met. I was coming back from overseas. And um, I'm originally from Belgium. That's the funny accent that you hear. And um, somebody told me, I, I was in, at a dinner with Feldenkrais friends, and they say, if you do horses and you do Feldenkrais, you have to meet Wendy. And so I did, and my life was changed. And I've been doing great ever since. So Wendy asked me to do a little presentation about the Feldenkrais method. Um, so what is let the me, Feldenkrais? Let me just yeah. see if um, somebody can't see the chat. So you just need to go to your menu bar there at the bottom and hit chat. It should come up on your right-hand side. Mm -hmm. um, if you have questions, just pop them there. And um, I think there was something else, but I can't remember. Okay, so we're going to let... Catherine, roll here for a little while. Oh, yeah, behind me. Mm -hmm. It's like, why are there people looking dead behind Wendy? So, <laughs> They're <so> not dead. <laughs> laying on the floor. So when you do a Feldenkrais lesson, a lot of times they're on the floor and you um, lay down on a mat and you lengthen your arms and legs and you do what's called a scan. So I thought it would be great to just feel like we are in the classroom since right now we can't be with each other, but you can get that feeling. So that's why that's a basically um, from a Feldenkrais class. Yeah, that's perfect. Then you can see what I'm talking about when I talk about the classes. That's super. So that the name Feldenkrais comes from the name of the person who invented the method. So it's hard to pronounce. It's weird to spell, but it's just the way he was called. So that's, that's where it comes from. 
it's got nothing to do with Christ or with religion. That's a question <laughs> that people ask me very often. Yes. So um, there we go. So what's interesting about the method, the Feldenkrais method, it's a method, it's not a therapy. It's a method that teaches you how to move better. And so actually, why don't I share my screen? Let me just... Awesome. Um, would you enable me to do that, oh, sorry, uh, Wendy, sorry. please? Did I not? We, got, we were so chatty earlier that... Um, I know. I know. We were having too much fun. I know. All right. I just made oh, it. Oh, there we go. So okay. Perfect. There we go. Um, Laura, it, somebody said thing. if you hover your pointer over Catherine, the chat will show up. They did some upgrades on Zoom. Um, so things look a tiny bit different. And, and so far, everything's running the same for me. Um, but I know that they did some upgrades. So I promise I will not do a PowerPoint poisoning. This is just to keep my, so that I can keep track. So this is like a very brief summary of what the Feldenkrais method is and what it's not. So the tools we use in the Feldenkrais method are gentle, slow movement with attention and awareness. So that, that's really the tools, that's the base of the method. And the genie, the, the, what Feldenkrais discovered is that those movements are the ones that can rewire your brain so that you get better movement patterns, so that you move more easily with less pain, with more flexibility. So the typical results after a Feldenkrais session, and I'll describe them a little bit later, is increased rates of motion, improved flexibility. You become more aware of what you do in the background, what your brain does in the background that you don't know. So I'm sure you've taken, if you're a writer, you've probably taken lessons and you feel like your trainer is always asking you to do the same thing and you always think you're doing it, but the trainer is still asking you to do the same thing because there are some things we do that we're not aware of. So these lessons allow you to become aware of what you're doing without knowing it so that you can finally change it. Um, and so one of the things people talk about is that your movement becomes more graceful, more efficient, you're hurting less, and you can also learn new movements. And what's very interesting about the type of movement we're doing in that method is that they have actually showed that it creates, it promotes the creation of new brain cells. So when people do these gentler so movements, you can actually keep on growing your brain, even if you're older, right? Even when you're 60, 70 year age, you still create new brain cells and those movement helps create more. So it's a way to stay younger, I guess. It's a way to think about it. And the goal of uh, Moshe Feldenkrais was to get people to become self-directed learners. So what you learn in the method, you don't learn certain movements that you repeat. That's not the point. You learn how to learn to move better. So I don't know what your experience is, Wendy, but I still do stupid things and I still hurt myself and I still overdo it. But what happens is when that happens to me, then I just lie down for a minute, I pay attention to what I'm doing, and by the time I get up, the problem is gone, right? What do you think about that? Do you have the same well, experience? And, um, for me, like, you know, flying on airplanes, um, I yes. used to get off planes and just, you know, after eight hours or whatever, and I would just lay on the floor and do the pelvic clock. Mm -hmm. And I would always find, you know, especially if I had a headache, I, there's a certain part of the clock that wasn't moving. And yes. I spent five minutes just working with the pelvic clock. And the next thing I know, my pelvis is moving, my headache is gone, and I'm up and running again. So um, there's a, it's a great way to kind of undo some of the, you know, things that we have to go through in life. Yeah. 
definitely. And so what really interested to me, so I didn't really introduce myself. I'm a physical therapist. That's what I do. So I have learned the model, the medical model of treating problems, right? And this is absolutely totally different from the medical model. So you don't focus on what's hurting and treat the area that's work that's hurting. You really relearn to become uh, aware of what you're doing so that you can change it. So you work at the brain level, not at the muscle level. And, and the used to say, go as far away from the injury as possible. That's right. That's right. And because why do we do that? I think it's because Feldenkrais was a physicist. He was not a doctor at all. So he didn't come at it from the medical model. He kind of looked at the brain as a physicist would with like pushing, pulling, seeing the forces and trying to understand how the system works. So another thing that you will see in the Feldenkrais method that you see in, in Surefoot Pad with, uh, when Wendy works with the horses is that we look at the whole system. So with the pad, with one foot, you can influence a whole system because you cannot change anything in that system without anything changing. And that's, that's based on the physics of systems, right? If you have a, a basic engineering system, if you change one part of the system, it's gonna have an influence on the other parts of the system. So, so it's a very different way to look at the body. And it's, one of them, um, yeah, go it's ahead. It's really looking at the body as a whole, as opposed to looking at the body as a part and not recognizing it belongs to a whole. Yes. And then when you grow that to the idea of the rider and the horse, in my view and in Wendy's view too, I think, then the person, the human and the horse become one system. It's not even two systems together. It becomes one system in the best case scenario, right? So then you want to work on the whole system again. Um, one of the things that... that Catherine, while you're yeah. talking, just unshare your screen so we can see you bigger, okay? Because you're... Okay. If I can, oh, where, where oh, you there we go. go up to the go, top there yes, and yes, then yes, unshare there or pause it. There oh, you go. There we go. Perfect. Good. Um, and so another thing that, another law, physics law, that's very important in Feldenkrais, and I never know how to pronounce it. Is it Webner? Webner Weber law. Thank you. I never know how to pronounce it. But basically, it's the idea that, I'm going to give you two examples. If you carry something heavy, like a piano, and somebody puts a book on top of the piano, you will not feel the book, right? Even though the book is heavy. But if you carry something a little bit lighter, like a tray, and somebody puts a book on the tray, you will feel the book. So the idea, all that to say that if you want to feel very subtle things, you have to decrease the amount of of, of muscle tension you're using, of energy. And that's why people behind Wendy look dead because <laughs> what we're doing is the reason why we're lying on the floor is not because we're lazy. I mean, it's, it is nice to lie on the floor, but we do that so that you take away all of the contractions, all the muscle work that happens when you're standing up or just to stand up, you need to have a lot of work, muscles working so that you can really start to listen to the very subtle things that are happening in your body. And that's why we make the muscle, the movements very slow and very small so that the more you do Feldenkrais, the more you become able to feel smaller and smaller different things in your movement. And so, so you're I, able I to really refine them. Yeah, I recall I'm talking about um, that when we're standing up, we're in gravity. And so our anti-gravity muscles have to work. And so by laying down, the nervous system doesn't have to keep working against gravity. We're actually allowing gravity to take us to the ground. Um, Dr. Feldenkrais was a judo master and That's he right. understood the importance of 
the ground is your friend because the first thing you learn in judo is how to fall. And so this whole concept of the ground being a friend as opposed to a foe, you know, like when we're riders, we don't want to hit the ground. But in this case, we we want to use the ground as our feedback because um, essentially the places that we have lessons, they're flat. So um, the floor isn't going to change. But if you feel a change relative to the floor, then it's obviously something that's changed in you. Definitely. And the floor, when you're lying down, gives you feedback. Right. Most of the time, we don't know the shape of our back. We don't have anything touching our back, so it's hard to feel what you're doing back there, right? But when you're lying on the floor, as you said, you can use the point of contacts, the space to, to feel your back and to know what you're doing. So the floor is definitely a big part of this, uh, of this system, of the Feldenkrais method. Yeah. Cool. So let me see. That's what I was thinking about. Okay, let me look at my thing again. Yeah, you can pop mind. it back up. That's fine. Yes, yes, yes. It's just yes, when you're yes. when you're talking, you have great gesticulation. So I know I'm very. Um, <laughs> I talk with my hands. So just to finish, oops, just to finish that one. So it is not goodness gracious. It is not a therapy, and it doesn't work locally. So that that's what the Feldenkrais method is not right the typical medical model you're hurting somewhere we're going to put something on that thing to fix it right for the feldenkrais as you say more often you go far away from that part because so the way i think of it if somebody comes to see me and let's say they have pain in their hips right and they come to see me because they have a hard time with pain in their hips my thought is their hip is probably the part of the body that works the best. And so it doesn't need to be improved. The rest of the body needs to help a little bit. They've been overusing that hip that is ready to do anything all the time. It doesn't need to be fixed. The rest of the body needs to do its job so that the good hip doesn't have to work hard all the time, which is kind of the opposite of the model of what we're used to. But I found that it's what works. Um, I do the Feldenkrais method, not because it's fancy, but because it works. And I'm a lazy person. I don't want to spend a lot of time working if I don't have to. So it's more efficient. All right. So there's two other concepts in the method that I'm going to talk a little bit because that explains also what we do. And I think it happens when you put a horse on a sure foot pad. Um, It's what happens when you see them change that fast. If they, if they change that fast, then if humans stage fast, you know that it has something to do with the brain, right? If you, a muscle doesn't change that fast, it has to be something bigger. So in your brain, you have a body, a, a map of your body. How did you develop that map? You didn't go to, to body map school. You didn't go to movement school, right? So you develop that map as a kid, as a baby, by moving. You moved, you made mistakes, you learned from your mistakes, and little by little, you developed a map with your, of your body and that, be, that becomes better and better as you get older. By the age of seven or eight, your gait is pretty good, you've got a pretty mat, you've got a nice pattern, that's how you develop. Everybody has a different map in their brain. You can tell, I'm sure you've had that experience before, when you see somebody coming from far away and you can't see their face yet, but you can recognize them from their movement. We each have a very specific movement pattern because we did our own schooling by ourselves on the floor as babies, right? I'll never forget when I was in Switzerland and I had gotten done with my teaching that day and I, I would go for a walk in the woods and I was probably a half a mile away and they spotted me because they recognized my gait. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And some people are more recognizable than others, but definitely it's all different. 
So you get to the age of six or seven age, you have a nice little pattern going, you know, you're pretty efficient, and then you go to school. And so you go to school, and I don't know if you've ever been in a kindergarten class, but these little guys do not stay seated for a long time because they still listen to their buddy. And when their buddy tells them to move, they move, whether the teacher wants it or not. But then gradually, as you go through school, you learn every year to ignore what your buddy's telling you more and more. And then you get to you know, middle school and high school, and you have these kids who are just sitting all day and have no problem sitting all day. So we are actually taught to start to ignore more and more. And then you go to those awful meetings if you're an adult and you stay seated for hours and nobody moves, right? And then we're surprised that we're hurting. So we have the ability to feel how to move well, but we are actually trained to stop feeling it so that we can focus on our head and on our intellect, right? So the Feldenkrais method actually helps you to rediscover how to feel what's happening with your body because it's in there. You just be turning it off for years. You've been trained to turn it off. And, and it seems that the focus becomes the part of the body that has more brain allocation, like your hands and your feet and your eyes and your head. And we tend to like discount the rest of it. But in writing, the rest of it is really where the magic happens. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And so it gets to the point where the body map, um, so the body map is what your brain uses to decide which muscles to move and when, uh, depending on the goal you have. And after a while, we don't upgrade our body map anymore. And so the brain just uses the body map. I'm sure you haven't done exercises to, uh, you haven't done the type of movement that babies do since you were seven or eight years of age, right? We don't, as adults, we don't just roll on the floor and look at our toes and, and do that kind of stuff, right? And all these movements actually keep your brain upgraded because what we do is you develop that body map is like a software in your brain. So we get that software and by the age we're seven, by the time we're seven or eight, we just don't upgrade it. Well, guess what? You don't have the same body you had that when you were seven or eight years old, right? So I find that the Feldenkrais method is actually an upgrade to the map. You know, Catherine, it, this, this actually makes me think of something like so many riders that either rode as children or wanted to ride and then didn't. And, and it seems that they're, you know, they always talk about, I used to be able to do this and I can't now. And basically they're, they're remembering their old body map, but that's not where they're at anymore. That's right. That, that's exactly right. And then on top of that, especially with riders, injuries happen. I don't have to tell you about that. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so injuries for me will change the body map or, or will not change the body map rather. So you still have your seven-year-old body map but then you hurt your hip and your brain still thinks you have your seven-year-old hip, but you don't. Your hip has been changed, right? And so all of a sudden your brain sends information to your body and it just doesn't, you don't get the same result with the same information. Now the extreme of that is that, for example, people who, have, who lose a limb or are amputated can still feel phantom pain. So their brain still thinks there's a body there and still acts as if there was a body there, even if when it's not there anymore. So there's a way to have your brain, your brain map completely disconnected from your body. That's not impossible. And I see a lot of the people I work with definitely have that. So the idea, another idea that's important is that once you decide you want to do something, let's say you decide you want to walk 
to that place. Your brain is going to pay attention to different things in order to decide which motor pattern to pick from your library of motor pattern that you have. It's going to think about your environment. You're not going to walk the same way if you're in a city at night or if you're on the beach, right? So it's a different kind of walk. Your intention, are you going to very slowly to relax and to take a leisurely walk or are you running from something, right? And your body map then decides which muscles to use and when. And so... so I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just going to stop you for a second. So, um, so many riders will ask me like, what muscles should I use? Yes. yes. When they're riding and they've been told about use their core and, and they ask me what muscles and I'm like, I can't, you know, you have to use all of your muscles. Basically there isn't any part of you that isn't engaged in a particular movement. Um, but we tend to think that we, if we just contracted the magic muscle, this would all work. And that, and, and that brings a very important thing too, is that, in your, in your brain, you have the intellectual part of your brain, the thinking part, and then you have the movement part, the motor part. The movement part is in charge of moving. You cannot think your movements. It's not the same thing. The thinking part is not fast enough to design a movement. You, you just cannot. There's too many muscles, too many parts. It's amazing what the brain does. The fact that we can stand on two feet already is amazing right? When you think of all the things that happens too, you cannot think your way through muscle contraction. It just doesn't work. It's not going to have the same. And Plus, horses don't think that way either because no. they, they, they don't even have the intellect to think about contracting a muscle. That's just not there, right? And they are motor-based creatures and it's all about movement for them. Definitely. And they so, feel, they get the feedback. Your hits your necklace and makes a clack sound. Let me just take the necklace off. That's the easiest thing. Yeah, I try. I was wondering what the sound was, and I yeah. There we go. Okay, perfect. Okay, cool. Yeah, and so it's even more important to uh, if you don't update the map, you can think your way through any muscle you want. Your brain will not do it because the pattern is not in the map. You can only use the ones you have in the map, and then you do the lessons like you're doing now. Let me see. I'm just yeah like all the people that are lying behind you right now, oh, yeah. um, then they upgrade their map and then all of a sudden motor patterns that were not possible before become possible because they actually design them. During those lessons, you create new neural connections and new motor patterns that you didn't even know you had. And it's not like you have to think about using those new patterns. It's just that you use them because they're now available. Again, it's the motor part of your brain that's updated. Right. It's not the thinking part, right? Right. So, so you're right. You cannot think your way through using a new pattern. The, what you can do, though, what we use sometimes is, um, is we, um, let me see. I try to, to help you most of the time. I try to help people associate or become aware of their new body map. Like one of the examples is the confusion around where the hip joints are right? There's so much confusion about that because we use the word hip for three different body parts, right? <laughs> so I'm going to use my skeleton. And so you put your hands on your hips right here, right? You go to the tailor and he measures your hips that are over here, right? And then you actually have the hip joint. So we use the same word for three different body parts. No wonder we're confused, right? Right. And plus, 
it's one of those joints that you cannot touch because it's really way deep inside. So it really makes it very complicated. Um, and so one of the things I do with the hips is, is make sure that people become aware of the new body part. We go through the feeling and through the movement so that they can remember the feeling, but not make it happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. Well, for me, it makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And, and I'll answer any questions later on on that. So a Feldenkrais lesson, like the people lying on the floor, one of the first parts of a lesson is what's called a scan. Yes. Where you just um, think of the different body parts to get a sense or a feeling of how they're resting on the floor because that's your baseline. You essentially create a baseline. And so when I'm thinking, the way I think of that, the baseline, I like the idea of the baseline, but the way I think of that is reading your body map. Yeah. Exactly. So you're lying down and you're like, oh, oh, that's where my head is. Okay. Hmm. Oh, this feels like that. You just take the time to go through your body to actually feel your map again, to see right. where you start. And then at the end, so to, then we, we do gentle, small movements that are supposed to, that are helping you rewire your brain in different ways. And they're all more crazy one than the other. But by the, the, and, and the reason why they're helping and why they're crazy is that they are inhabitual. So another thing that we talk a lot in the Feldenkrais method too, is that you have your habitual way, way of moving. And then in the method, we create new ways of moving that very often feel very unfamiliar and unhabitual. But if I go back to the idea of that hip that was working really well, but habitually was being overused, if we change that habit and the rest of the body works now, the new habit allows that um, hip to be more comfortable. Right. One last thing that Feldenkrais said, and I mentioned it, but I want to highlight it again, is that no part of the body can be moved without the other part getting affected. So that explains why just moving one foot and putting it on a pad can change a whole system, right? right? That's probably what, what uh, gave you the idea somehow. Uh, the the shuffle okay. definitely came from my Feldenkrais experiences, for sure. Good. And so let me see, I'm just thinking about other things. So basically, on the, in the method, the movements that we're looking for in the method are slow. Um, you only do them as long as you can pay attention to them when you cannot pay attention to them, when they become mechanical, they're not worth it. Right. Not worth it. Pain is never a good idea. Why? Two reasons. First, pain gets your brain's attention. So how can you pay attention to something else if you're hurting? You cannot, right? Pain is almost like a loudspeaker in your brain. You cannot hear the little things that you're trying to pay attention to. And then if you do a movement with pain, I think the goal of the session is to find out how to do it without pain. You already know how to do it with pain. So what's the point? Don't waste your time, right? So, so we're really looking at making movements that do not hurt because that's the only way that the brain will take this movement. If you have a choice between a movement that doesn't hurt and one that hurts, the brain will always choose the one that doesn't hurt. So you're right? basically saying the, our nervous system, just like the horses, is going to seek ease. And so if there's a, it may not be totally pain-free, but if it's an easier movement, a freer movement, a less uncomfortable movement, we are going to go toward that. And it's not going to be incorporated in the brain map if it hurts, because what's the point, right? right. There's no reason, right? So then we get into the notion of pain, right? So we have different ways of thinking about pain. 
And of course, I have to change the difference for pain coming from injury, where you just hurt yourself and you're cut or you're broken. That's, that's pain from the injury, right? That's, that's what I'm talking about. Or if you have something like a cancer or something, I'm not talking about that pain, right? I'm talking about the hip pain, the arthritis pain, the bone on bone pain, all these things that people complain about as they get older, right? Knee pain is a big one. Knee pain is another big one. So what is pain? Pain doesn't mean that that part is broken or damaged, unless you remember what I said about injury, right? right? What it means is your body, actually pain is fantastic. It's your body letting you know you need to change what you're doing or this thing is going to be in trouble. So pain is like a check engine line for your car. What happens when your check engine line comes on? You go to the garage, right? Right? You don't drive the car faster and harder thinking it's going to solve the check engine car. No. So pain is actually your body saying, uh, pay attention here. You're doing something that's not working for me. Right? So pain is actually great information. It drives us nuts, but it's great information. It well, means it it's time to upgrade your map. A point is that without pain, and there are people that don't feel pain. Exactly. You know, and without pain, you'll do things that are really, really damaging and you won't even realize it until you're broken because your nervous system didn't report that was a wrong, you know, that was a bad thing. It was a, like, yeah. yeah, they just can't feel pain. So you can really get in trouble without that warning system. And one of the reasons we get into pain is that we have learned to ignore everything that comes before pain, right? Mm-hmm. right? We have learned to ignore um, stiffness, discomfort, uh, you know, all the things that come before you get to pain. And so what I tell me if you think the same thing, but now I rarely go to pain anymore because except when I have to load 30 bales of hay because I have to, because it's raining in five hours. So, you know, well, but if I have a choice, <laughs> yeah. sometimes, sometimes our circumstances are such that we have to endure something. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not about avoiding it. It's that we can recover from whatever that is. And that's the key. And that's one thing that I think uh, uh, Feldenkrais said too, is that um, health is the ability to recover. Yeah. Right. And that's, and that's really a big deal. Uh, yeah. A big, important thing. Yeah. So, um, so I think what happens after you've done enough Feldenkrais lessons, it, you, never, you never need to get to pain anymore you know before you get there. You develop a, sen- a sensitivity to, to you thinking, oh, I've been sitting for a while, it's time for me to do something about sitting before you get to the pain. Yes. So that's, that's the, the plus of the method. You really become fluent in, in your motor patterns and in your, in your body's language. You learn to listen to it again. Yep, or you might recognize that this is a repeating pattern it's uh, like I, for years I had pain in my shoulder when I would lay down on the floor my one shoulder was always in a different height than the other. And that was years of Feldenkrais training. And then one day it changed. And I can't really tell you when it changed because when the, when that feeling goes away, you just don't notice it anymore. I, you know, I wish there was like this little party that we had, look, it's gone. <laughs> but instead it's just gone and we go on and do other things. And, and then later we'll stop and go, Oh yeah, I don't feel that anymore. You know, it's kind of weird. It is kind of weird. And the way I think about it sometimes, it's like a puzzle. I feel like each lesson is a piece of the puzzle. And you know, when you do a puzzle at first, you've got like the corner pieces and then three or four, you can't really see the picture. But as you go 
you find that one piece that comes in the middle and all of a sudden you realize what it is, right? And so sometimes you have those lessons and you're thinking, wow, what happened? It was just the right piece at the right time, right? So it's kind of fun sometimes. Yeah. Cool. Let me see if there's anything else I wanted to say about how the method works before we go on with the horses. So one of the things while you're, while you're looking, mm -hmm. um, he talked about reversibility. Yes. And he talked about that you needed to be able to either stop, go forward, or go back. And that if you got to the point where you could not reverse, you were in serious trouble. Um, and so my example is, you know, if you're leaning over a cliff and you can't step back from the cliff, you're in serious trouble. And it's the same thing as a rider when we're riding our horses, that we never want to get to the place that we can't reverse or stop because that's when we're really in serious trouble. Yes, and I think he, he developed that because, as you said, he, he was doing judo, and he also wrote a book about hand combat, right? Mm -hmm. So Feldenkrais was not a, uh, a hippie lying on the floor oh. and enjoying life. He was a tough guy, and, and he, he wrote the book on hand combat. And when you're in combat, you do not have the time to rearrange yourself when something comes at you. And it's exactly the same when you work with horses. They can at any moment do something so stupid and so fast that and you have to be able to move, right? Right. Right? And so I think it's as important with horses as it is the ability to react without having to rearrange yourself, to be balanced enough that you can go in any direction at any time right. is a survival skill for horse owners, right? Basically. Yeah. <laughs> and for him, they were survival skills. Yeah. Um, very much so. Yep. Very good. So let me see. So I think that's basically, do you think of anything else that the method that is important in the method, Wendy, I think? I think if we just like, um, there's two parts to the method. There's awareness through movement yes. and functional integration. Okay. Go ahead. So, and yeah. So there's two ways to experience the method. One way is to do what's happening behind Wendy right there. So you go to a class and it's a group session and you are verbally guided through the movement. So, um, as, as Wendy says, typically there's a little scan at first where you just land, slow down, start to listen to yourself and notice where you are, who you are today and, and how you're in, in contact with the floor. And then you're guided to a, a series of very gentle, uh, funny, you, often fun, pleasant exploration of movements. And then you have five minutes or 10 minutes at the end where you feel the contact with the floor again so that you can feel any difference between the beginning and the end. Because, okay, and that's another thing that's perfect. Another thing I wanted to talk about. Um, the use of contrast and difference is something that we use a lot in the method. Because sometimes it's hard to feel subtle differences, so we increase the contrast so that we can really feel it and then we let it go. And that's one thing, um, I don't know if you use that when you use that with a pad, but another idea also, if you, if you notice something that's happening, I don't know, let's say the, the, the left, the horse's left shoulder is up a little bit. Let's say the left shoulder blade is a little high. The idea would be how can we stretch it down, right? The basic idea. Well, from the Feldenkrais perspective, my thinking is I'm gonna lift it up. I'm gonna help it come up. And why am I doing that? The way I'm explaining it, that might not be the way Moshe has explained it, but the way I think about it is that in that brain, there is a program right now that's running on a loop 
that's saying we need to lift the shoulder blade, we need to lift the shoulder blade, we need to lift the shoulder blade. If I lower the shoulder blade, the program, the program is going to go, we really need to lift the shoulder blade, we really need to lift the shoulder blade, right? If I actually come up and say, well, I'll lift it for you, that's okay, well, let's just lift the shoulder blade. We lift the shoulder blade and then the program doesn't have to run anymore, the shoulder blade is lifted. And then you have the option of lowering the shoulder blade. Right. Right. So the whole idea of, of uh, as Mia used to talk about, if you could match the pattern exactly and take over the work, then yes. the nervous system doesn't have to fire anymore. And it's after it stops firing that you can have a change because now it's not working. And that brings us to another, another um, big principle, the idea of stretching versus lengthening. Mm. So stretching involves some kind of a fight. You are holding one side and you're pulling the other side away from it, right? And so what happens at the muscle level, you get microscopic. If you, if you stretch to the point where you're hurting a little bit, which is the way I was taught to do it when I was young, um, you actually create microscopic tears in, your fiber, in the fibers on your muscles that then heal in microscopic scars. So you actually decrease the flexibility of the muscle every time you stretch. So the stretching is a local thing when one side is pulled away from the other side, right? The lengthening comes from your brain. It's your brain telling your muscle to lengthen. So there's no, the, the, the muscle doesn't have to protect itself from being stretched and your brain will never go too far to, to lengthen beyond where it's comfortable to get to the point where you have microscopic tears. So in the Feldenkrais method, we try to look at lengthening rather than stretching. That's one of the goals. Yeah. And in the contrast, it's not unusual to just do one side of the body in a certain movement and then compare it to the other side. And anybody who's ridden with me and I've done board under the foot. I have, I have. <laughs> which came from the Feldenkrais concept of the artificial floor. Everybody's like, oh yeah, she's not going to do the other side today. You might as well not even ask her, you know, <laughs> because I'm setting up that contrast. Yes. Day, and that's the brain then goes, whoa, wait a second. There's a difference. And then which one feels easier? And then how can I achieve that on the other side? Because in the method, you don't teach anything you create an environment where the person can learn, right? Right. So you're not teaching people to lengthen their legs. You're allowing one leg to lengthen so that the other one feels shorter or vice versa. And then the person actually has a chance to learn something from it. Yep. So it's really totally, I don't do, when I teach a lesson, I don't tell people what to do. I just create an environment and I give them all the variations so that they have access to everything. And then they pick and choose what they want. Yep. It's really like throwing spaghetti at the wall and then you see what, what, what sticks. It really is what it is. Well, and one of the big things is that they don't have examples of someone doing a lesson. In That's other right. Words, Dr. Feldenkrais didn't want you to mimic somebody else's movement because then it wasn't your movement. He wanted you to discover your movement by yourself going through by listening to the directions and i mean there'll be a class where you're saying the same words and there's a dozen people and they're all doing something completely different yes. because they all have different experience different body map different injuries different restrictions and it's fascinating to look at you know it's the same words and it's 
all these different interpretations, which is one of the things that's so incredible because it's your interpretation, not what I think it should be. Um, and, and you don't have to know what people need and I don't have to know what they need. All, all you have to do is create an environment where their brain can pick what it needs. Right. So, so which is asked a question that came in late and then why do you do the movements in class laying down? Um, they're not, not all the lessons are laying down. There are lessons in chairs and standing lessons, but predominantly laying down. And that's to take you out of the influence of gravity. So your nervous system isn't working to keep you upright. So when you lay down, the nervous system can let go because it's not fighting gravity. You've gotten as close to the floor as you can. And you can really pay attention to what you're doing then. You don't have to worry. Yeah. Reducing so, the work effort. Yeah. So we talked about the classes. That's one way to do it. And then you have another way. You have a one-on-one -on -one session that you can have with a Feldenkrais practitioner. And in that lesson, the Feldenkrais practitioner will guide you with their hands. So instead, for example, of saying, lift your right shoulder, which I would do in a class, right? I would tell everybody, lift your right shoulder a little bit off the floor and then bring it back down. Well, in a session with my hand, I will lift the right shoulder a little bit and bring it back down. So the practitioner will move different body parts and we, we kind of see what's happening. We test, we move. It, it looks very uh, random, right? It probably <laughs> feels pretty random, but it really... As, as I lift a shoulder, I can feel, because we've developed our feel, I can feel, for example, that there's something in that rib that's just not going. So I will go check the rib to see what's happening. And then I'm thinking, oh, but that comes from the hip. So then I will go check the hip or vice versa. So, or, or if something is really hurting, if somebody comes with a tight neck that's really painful, I will not touch the neck. I will go to the feet. And then I will slowly see if we can create, you know, lower everything in the system so that you can come to the neck and do things. So we look at the whole system, but we guide with our hands rather than guiding with our words, but it's the same thing. And the, uh, Joyce used to always talk about how the Chinese would say, you can't affect one joint in the body without affecting all the joints in the body. Mm -hmm. So when you go and work on the foot, you're still working on the neck. You're just working at it from a distance. But it's, again, it's exactly a system. Right. So anything happening in the foot is going to affect the neck and anything in the neck is going to affect the foot. It, it, it can't happen in isolation. We are in this unit. Uh, last, uh, last week, last Tuesday, in the lesson, I did a lesson on the tongue because we go all over the body in the fellow Christ method. So I did a lesson on the tongue and one of my uh, students emailed me later on she had been having balance problems. She's in her 70s. She's been having balance problems. And um, she sent me an email and she said, Catherine, I could never do that balance exercise. And after the lesson, I can do it. I didn't know my tongue had something to do with that. Oh, yeah. So, and, and I know you are, I mean, yeah. you taught me how to start the canter by moving my tongue in my mouth. So I, yeah. I know you know about the tongue. <laughs> so yes, definitely. Um, when we get to them, we'll talk about classes and that sort of thing, because somebody's asked a question about books. Feldenkrais's writings are really difficult to read. Yeah, it's not worth doing it, I think. No, he was a super deep thinker. And one, you read one or two pages and you have to go away and let your brain cool off. Um, yes. I have not read all of his works. The, if there's one that you wanted to read of his, The Case of Nora. He did a case study of a woman with a stroke. It's called The Case of Nora, and it's a sh short little book. And it's the, the easiest of all of his works to read. Um, and, and unfortunately, he was going to write more cases like that, and then he, he 
had a stroke and, and passed. So there's only that one, which, like I said, it's the easiest of all his works to read. But the Feldenkrais, um, the Feldenkrais Guild and Feldenkrais, there's a great website. There's a lot of research. If you're into research, there's a lot of cases. And because Feldenkrais goal was for people to become self-learners, you will find that there's Feldenkrais in all kinds of different worlds. Like I'm in the medical world, you're in the horse world. Some people are musicians, some people are. So if you're interested in doing Feldenkrais, look at people who have the same passion you have because Feldenkrais by itself, it doesn't stand by itself. Feldenkrais is a way to do better what you want to do, whatever that is. Right. You don't do Feldenkrais, you just do it long enough so that, that you can get better at what you're doing, right? Right, right. it's really a, it's a way of learning how to do what you want as opposed to a means in itself. And it's really relearning because it was in your brain, you did it as a baby. You just forgot about it. Most people, but you know, I do run across people and I, and I'll watch them move or they'll be on a horse and I'll go, did you crawl as a child? And, and they're like, oh, is your mother alive? I don't know. Let me check. And they come back and no, I was, I had braces. Um, you know, I was putting braces and, and you can pick up these patterns in people because you can feel something in their movement. Um, to become a Feldenkrais practitioner is a long process. Um, in the United States, it's a four-year process. I, how many hours? I've forgotten now. It's 120. It's eight weeks. Uh, it's week, eight, eight weeks a year, basically, for right. four, years. For four yeah. years. So it's a long process. And you go through the process of doing the lessons. And then uh, um, as you come to the third year, you start learning the process of doing the hands-on work. You're doing a little bit of hands-on work in the beginning, but really after the third year, then you start to do more of the, what's called the functional integration, which is the one-on-one -on -one hands-on. And, and during that training, you go through everything your baby goes through. So you go through the child development because that's what Moshe Feldenkrais studied too. He just looked at how humans learn to, to move. And you'll see we start, that's why we start lying on the back too, lying on the belly. We learn to roll and then we learn to sit. You really go through all the stages of a child development. And I work a lot with children with special needs. And I've worked, just to say that Feldenkrais works with everybody. I've worked in neonatal intensive care with little ones that were not technically born yet, right? And then I have clients who are 98 years old and, I, and I've worked with athletes and I've worked with um, people who had severe disability in many countries in the world. And it just works for everybody because it works with that person's brain. So whatever that person needs, you just create an environment around them where they can learn what they need, what they need to learn. It's very intrinsic. It's tapping into our innate learning ability in our mm -hmm. brain. Um, and, you know, I had Dr. Peters on the other day. The, uh, Dr. Peters is the neuropsychologist. Mm -hmm. We were talking a lot about serotonin and the, and the rest and the need for the deep rest. And one of the things that I've always, I know you have and I have experienced in even awareness through movement lessons, the group lessons, or in the private lessons, that you, you, it almost feels trance-like. You're not mm -hmm. asleep, but mm -hmm. you're in such a deep state. 
And I think that there's, that's when we have the neurochemicals that are, are, we're bathed in them in our brain and that's what's letting us rewire things. Um, because the rewiring can happen really fast, like in, in mm -hmm. you know, a few minutes or in an hour session or 45 minute lesson. Um, but I think it's because the brain gets into a, a really available state to make change. I worked on an older gentleman in, in uh, Myanmar, in Burma, when I was there, and he was a Buddhist and he did a lot of meditation. He had a stroke and I worked on him in a little bit. And at the end, he said, huh, it's just a Western style of meditation because he felt like he had gone to the same place he was going to when he was meditating. He felt like my moving him brought him to the same, you know, brainwave and area than he did when he was meditating. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Yep. Um, probably more like meditation as opposed to Reiki, um, because mm -hmm. the um, Reiki is something that you receive, but this is where you're experiencing it. It's, it's a little more. Uh, oh, I see what you mean. Okay, cool. Good. So, do you, do we want to talk about some of the horses that we've played with? So, um, oh, yeah. So, what? let me just kind of. So, um, I started. Uh, I first learned about Feldenkrais when I met Linda Tellington Jones in 1985, and I studied with her extensively from 85 to 93. When I met Sally Swift in 86, I started working with her and apprenticed with her in 92. So I had been exposed to the Feldenkrais concepts, and I had had Feldenkrais lessons. Like I lived in Australia for a year from 87 to 88, and when I was in Sydney, I would go and have Feldenkrais lessons. Um, so that, those concepts were always present for me. And then in mm. 2001, I enrolled in the four-year training in Baltimore um, and went through that process. And then after that, I worked with Mia Siegel, who was Feldenkrais' assistant for 15 years before he started training people. So I've had 16 years of training in the Feldenkrais method before I came to the idea of Surefoot. But Surefoot is, is born out of this whole concept of Feldenkrais where you're giving the horse an option, a choice, and you're allowing him to experience something and feel something. And we're not trying to control that process. We're, <laughs> I love Catherine, no. <laughs> we're not trying to control that process. We're, we're just prov providing an environment for the horse to become self-aware and so that he can make his own change. Exactly. Yep. You're creating the environment for him to learn. Right. And a safe environment for him to learn. And that's one of the things that fascinates me more than anything is that I'll meet a horse I've never met before and I, and I offer the pad. And, you know, if, if you've listened to any of the talks I've done with Sharon Wilsey, she talks about greeting horses mm -hmm. and just holding out your knuckles for the horse to sniff you. Well, I hold out the pad in the same way to greet. You know, I was always thinking, let the horse check it out, but there's probably a little more to it from the ah, horse. Yeah. Right? It becomes a greeting and it's an extension, right? So I'm not close, but I can reach out. And then, you know, it's really letting the, them uh, guide the process. But the thing that's so fascinating is how quickly the horses kind of, they'll take their whiskers and they'll just kind of start to feel or feel the back of my hand and they just kind of waffle me. And it's like, oh, you're, you're a safe person. And then they just want to follow me. Um, and so creating that environment of safety, and again, this kind of ties in other talks we've had with uh, Violet Van Hees and with Stephen Peters, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That, um, vagal nerve needs, it's all about, am I safe? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I have people come to me and say, you know, well, my horse doesn't like the pads. And I, I wonder if they're not creating a safe enough environment for the horse to let down. 
that they have a bit of an agenda, they've got a time frame, or they want to see, or that this horse has to do this, or I want you to stand on the pads. And so instead of making it an offer, it's a little bit more of a demand. And some horses are more sensitive to that than others. Or maybe they don't like that pad under that foot. Right. And so it's really a question of changing up and offering something different. But this idea of kind of stepping back a little bit and pausing, right, or to give the horse a chance to just check it out. And then they decide you're safe. And it's so incredible when you, when you have the horse acknowledge, oh, I want to be with you because you're the one that makes me feel good. Yeah. And, and I think uh, one way to, what it makes me think about is an, uh, an experience I've had with one of the kids with special needs that I was working with. Um, he, was, he was on the autism spectrum and he was very, very um, stressed out. He had a helmet because he was banging his head all the time. And his mom wanted him to, I do hypotherapy. So I use the movement of the horse to help children with special needs learn how to move better, right? And so parent, parents are usually very excited about the idea of their, their kid riding a horse. And even when the kid doesn't want it, the parents really want it. So I always say, we'll try two, three times, and then I go with the kid, whatever the kid says. And so he had had two sessions, and the whole time was screaming, um, holding on to me, banging his head the whole time with a very sweet mare that we have. God bless her heart. Oh, sweet mare that we had. The third time he came, the, that mare was sick. I don't remember what she has, but she was sick that day. And so at the last minute, I switched him to another horse, a big, very different, big gelding. Put him on the gelding, screaming, kicking, the whole thing, thinking this is probably his last session. The gelding started walking, and within three steps, the kid was standing, smiling, and starting to laugh. And he did the whole session that way. And then we did it three, four times, and then that gelding got sick. Um, but then by that time, he was able to go back to the mare and be okay. All that to say that nervous systems can be very, very sensitive. And so that kid could not tolerate the mare, mm. and he was fine on the gelding. And the only difference with the variation in movement that that gelding provided to his nervous system so the same thing could happen with a horse on the pad. It could be that one pad is heaven for that horse and one pad is not just because they're so sensitive. The, the fact that this, this, this kid made it so obvious because he, he was such a sensory sensitive kid that he made the difference very obvious for us to see, right? But I think horses are closer to that. They're more sensitive the way uh, children with autism can be hypersensitive too. Well, and I think, isn't that why it works to have autistic children with horses is the sense Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, yeah, <laughs> depending yeah. on what you find. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's so interesting. Um, and it's so much fun for me to like see all the connections and have different people kind of come in with a different piece of the puzzle and I'll make it fit and make sense. Mm -hmm. And um, the the, but the Feldenkrais approach, the whole idea of it's an offer, not a demand, to reduce the effort, yes. to allow the horse to move off if they need to, because they know their body better than we do. And, you know, when a horse walks off a pad, 
I've had horses literally just brush a pad and completely change, like not even stand on it. And I've had horses that won't stand on a pad, but they've, they've felt it for like a second. I had one horse that was rearing and it touched the pad and reared straight up. The second time it touched the pad, it pushed itself sideways. The third time it touched the pad, it dropped its net. The fourth time it was grazing, it was three and a half minutes and it maybe had less than four seconds on the pad. So, you know, we, again, it's the super nervous, super sensitive nervous system and we can't predict, but what we can do is provide the environment for the horse to change. Exactly. And be open to the fact, as you said, that for that horse, I mean, every time I meet a horse and I have three, so it's twice a day, uh, I'm surprised at how subtle they are. It does, I've been with horses my whole life. Every time I'm thinking they're even more subtle than I thought yesterday, yeah. right? And so the pad, as you, I think you've had horses just see the pad yes, and see other horses on the pad and react to them, right? Yes. So we have to be open to that idea that for them, it's plenty. And there, you know, there, they, um, who was saying it? Uh, electromagnetic system, you know, we are all electromagnetic energy and they're a massive electromagnetic energy system. Mm -hmm. um, heart math has been a really interesting thing to, to research and look at and look at the connection between doing heart math with horses and people combined. Um, but it's all about that electromagnetic energy field. And as the horse feels safe, I think that it field expands because one of the things I see, and Catherine, you've seen this, is that um, when I'm doing a workshop and people are putting horses on pads, after about two hours, we got to take a break because everybody's as doped. <laughs> that's true. That's true. You know, that's true. They can do that. Oh, you know, and they're totally chilled out. And it's like, whoa, we're not going to get anything done here because, because we're all our neurochemical milieu has permeated not only the horse, but every person standing near it. Mm -hmm. And I've had the experience, I mean, we've been working together for a long time. You've seen yeah. some of the horses that I've been through. And uh, I have a therapeutic riding, a retired therapeutic riding horse. I had a shelter horse that you help. I have a young horse who has no idea what's happening with him that you help to. I've seen in all the therapeutic horses at our center, we do spa days with them and they get to choose the pads. It's like Christmas. You get six horses with six volunteers holding them and I have the pads in the arena everywhere. And the horses go for their favorite pad. It's, it's hilarious. The first time they have to be shown, but the second time it's like, I want the blue one. I want the green one. <laughs> so it's, it's really funny. Yeah. It's really funny. Really yeah. Catherine, we only have two minutes left. Yep. We have blown through this era. All right. So Catherine, how can people find you and learn more about what you do? Because you have some online courses and... I do. So if you want to do... One of the things I was thinking is, you know, if you put your horse on the pad, which is fabulous for the horses, you might think about doing something to upgrade yourself too. Otherwise, if your horse gets better and then you sit on him the same way you've always sat, is that putting old shoes on? It's not really great, right? So you're wasting your time. So there's tons of lessons online. You can go to feldenkrais.com and my website, let me see if I can share that last thing. My website, my website is um, kineticbalance.com. So these are all the horses that Wendy, and you know how they follow Wendy when yeah. she does the pads, right? This was a shelter horse that was really worried 15 minutes. Oh yeah, that. she was lovely. It was high. yeah, yeah. So uh, my website is kineticbalance.com. And my name is Katherine Wyckoff. So I, Katherine Wyckoff.com would work too. Yep. 
And so Catherine's got some online courses she's working on. And as yes. she said, there's, oh, Feldenkrais week. That's right. That's right. Okay. So let me share. I, I've got it on another screen. I've got okay. it right here. So next week, the first week in May was the anniversary of Moshe Feldenkrais. So every year there's a big event. So this is a free event. It's called Move Better, Feel Better. And look, the title of the website is feldenkraissummit.com. Oh, if you want to share your screen, I'll pop that in the chat. Okay. So I, do you see, you see my screen, right? I'm sharing it now. Oh. Okay. S-U-M-M-I-T, one T. So it's spelled in S-U-M-M-I-T dot com. That's right. Yep. Uh, Feldenkraissummit.com. And it starts um, May 1st. May right, 1st and it's free, May right? It's free. You get your free ticket. And there's very interesting. These guys here, all these pictures are great trainers. We this is Linda Tellington-Jones right there. Catherine, we're not seeing that screen. Unshare and reshare because you're on the wrong screen. There we go. Okay. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let me do this one. Okay. Sorry. There it is. There you go. You see it now? Oh, yeah. There it is. Okay, perfect. So it's it's, um, feldenkraissummit.com. And if you see all the trainers, you will recognize Linda Tellington-Joan is right here. And there might be some other people you know. But so it definitely, it's a free event. Lots of very interesting lessons and things. And it's a great time to do this now while we're on lockdown, you know, right? exactly. well upgrade your brain so that when you get back to your horse, and that's the thing is every time I went to a training and I used to go to Bod Tulse and do nine days of training and come home, my horse would say, thank you very much. And when are you going back? Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Yeah. So if you unshare your screen there, that would be awesome. And then tomorrow my guest is Robin uh, Shelton Larson, and we're going to talk about sure paws, the surefoot pads that we've created for dogs. Um, that'll be awesome. And also, yes. um, we have a, a special running right now because I was supposed to be at the Land Rover three-day event last weekend, and it was canceled. So I'm offering 10% off any surefoot products if you go to my website, murdochmethod.com/shop, and purchase any surefoot products. Put in the code, and I'll type it in the chat. It's L. Land Rover Kentucky three day event. So it's all lowercase LRK 3DE. Um, it's also on my Surefoot page. It's up in the, with uh, the names of my guests this week. So you get 10% off any products. Um, like I said, tomorrow is SurePause on Friday. I'm doing another Surefoot webinar. Please join me then. And Catherine, thank you so much. I mean, thank you. That was fun. This hour. It was really fun. Great. And please contact Catherine if you have any other questions. Um, see. I'll tell you that that physio pad is how I got standing on my feet again. And we've had so many stories of people standing on the half physio or the full physio pad. And we have farriers that have bought it to use it in their practice and it hasn't left in front of their sink. Okay. So you'll have a great time using that. And um, thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you soon. Thank Bye. you very much. Bye-bye.